I love you, and I'll say, Remy, I, I know you love me, and that's, that's good that you're telling me that you love, love me, because I love you too. But we don't primarily show our love to each other in our words, we show it in our actions. We show it when we listen to what Dada and Mama have said. Is, is this loud or is this just me? Okay. So we, we, we show our love in our actions, not in just our words. And so with that idea of obedience in mind, I, it felt like a natural progression from what Tom was sharing yesterday to this week was highlighting how our actions as followers of Jesus matter. And we're, we're people, we're followers of Jesus participating in his kingdom, right? And so what are we actually doing? When, uh, when COVID was kind of had a lot of restrictions on our meetings, and we had a, about 10 people at a 9 a.m. slot and a 10 a.m. slot, um, we were focused on thinking, hey, we need people to get involved. We need to encourage our church family to participate. Because what we were realizing in those small meetings is how used we all are to observing things, to observing worship, to observing people praying, to observing people teaching, to observing people serving. And we noticed that there was a shift that we needed to have there. And so this sermon is about shifting from observation to participation. And so many times in our, in our sermons and in our singing, we've talked about how we, we want to be disciples, followers, apprentices of Jesus. And so what is Jesus doing? Right? That's what we want to know. What is he doing? And the answer is he's moving. He's going. He's serving. He's inviting. And he's setting the example for us in what we do. And so that opening scripture of Jesus became a servant, came, did not count equality with God, something that he wanted, but he came to serve and in obedience unto death. And Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son. So the truth this morning is that we're actually being conformed into the image of Jesus, which actually means that he's moving us out of being observers in our own kingdoms to participants in his kingdom. And so it's the gospel of Jesus that teaches us how to move from being observers and gives us the motivation to be participants. And before we kind of jump into the to the I mean, it's all meat. I hope it's all meat, but the meat and potatoes will say. I just wanted to say this this morning, that what I'm going to share this morning might feel a little challenging, might feel maybe offensive to some, might feel a little uncomfortable. But the truth about us being a family is that we're in this together. So it's not me speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself first. It's, and, you know, Klaus and Joni need to hear this, and Tom and Jess need to hear this, and Jonathan and Brittany need to hear this. We all need to hear this. So this is not a finger pointing session. This is something, this is, I'm, I'm convinced is a truth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I hope you can hear that this morning. And so for some of us, we actually need to learn how to serve others. And for some of us, we need to learn how to serve others with hearts motivated by the gospel and not our flesh. And so we need to, we, when we come through that door, we actually need to check our attitudes at the door. And so today we're going to talk about how we move from observation to participation, like I said, with three points that I hope will help us with the why and the how. So the three points are the gospel is selfless, other-centered. The gospel is selfless, other-centered. The gospel equips us and the gospel propels us. 
So let's pray quickly and jump in. Jesus, we want to follow you. But we need your help. We cannot do this on our own. So please help us, teach us, and just show us how you call us to move from observers to participants in your kingdom. We trust you. We love you. And we want that to become the reality of our church and us as your people as well. So we, we trust that you're able to do that. And we want to listen to what you're saying this morning. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So the gospel is selfless, other-centered. I'm just going to read what I, what I put up. This. Hopefully this is helpful, but it's a little kind of summary of when we observe... We are constantly focused on ourselves, what the teaching, worship, children's ministry are doing for me. We, f- we are fixated on what our church experience is giving us. When we participate, we are focused on how we serve God by serving the body of Christ. We come on a Sunday ready to bless, build up, encourage, exhort our brothers and sisters. We focus on how we can serve one another. And so what serving looks like in scripture, because that's obviously the best place to get the example. We already read Philippians 2, but Romans 12, verses 10, 12, and 16 say this. Be devoted to one another in love. Devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And Mark 10, 42 to 45, after the disciples were arguing about who's the best in God's kingdom, Jesus says this to them. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must do what? Have the most money? Be the best looking? Have locks like John Burnett? No. Whoever wants to be great among, among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so this is what being selfless other-centered looks like in Jesus's kingdom. And so when we look at Jesus's example, it should move us from needing to be served to serving others. It should move us from focusing on what am I getting out of this to what am I actually giving? And when we start to think about that, sometimes a little bit of a danger arises because we ask the question, where are we actually giving from? And so when we give from ourselves, when we give from our flesh, the result will inevitably be frustration, disappointment, disillusionment, and bitterness. And so a shift needs to happen in our hearts from being served to serving others when we actually clearly see that Jesus has already served us and given us everything we need on the cross. But this is not just like a, ah, Jesus died for me and I get it, right? This is a process that it takes time. It's a lifelong process of engaging with Jesus, his good news, to understand what he's actually done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. But as we come to understand that, it actually more and more frees us from the need we have to being served to actually being able to serve others. 
And that only happens as we realize that Jesus has ultimately given us everything we could ever need at the cross. And that's a hard idea to really grasp. So don't feel bad if me saying that makes no sense. Hopefully in the rest of what we talk about this morning, you'll understand how. Oh, so how do I understand that? Who do I talk to? Where do I get that? And hopefully those answers get answered this morning. And so what Jesus has done actually frees us to serve others. The way Jesus has modeled for us and how he asks us to as his followers. And so Isaiah, can you go to that next slide there? This is a summary kind of of um, the gospel being selfless and other-centered. The gospel moves us from observation to participation by showing us we have already been served by Jesus in an eternal and life-giving way. In response to this good news, we are free to serve others so that we obediently follow the example that Jesus has given us and to express his servant heart to the world around us. And so the second point there is the gospel equips. You can throw that one up, Isaiah. Thank you. And so when we observe, we look to people in the church as our primary life source. Who or what program is pouring into me and feeding me? Is it Tom and Jess? Is it the sermon? Is it a community group? Is it worship? And when we participate, we recognize the Holy Spirit as our primary life source. Holy Spirit helps us discern how we use the gifts God has given us to serve Him and serve His people. And so when we participate, we recognize the Holy Spirit as our primary life source. Yeah. So what, what does that mean? Anyone? What does that mean? Sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we, we talk in words that aren't always, we feel are not applicable to our practical experience. Would you agree with me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to do that this morning. I think the idea of the Holy Spirit equipping us, it's not an abstract or an impersonal idea. And it definitely has real practical application. And so Isaiah, you can throw that next one up. So the gospel equips us in three different ways. And they're all anchored to the Holy Spirit. And that's through the scriptures, through the body of Christ, and through personal conviction. And so we're going to go through each one of those. And the first one being the scriptures. What, what do the scriptures actually say about themselves? What do they say that they do? And so in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active. It's actually alive. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And so the scriptures equip us to participate by revealing to us where our hearts are not in line with God's rule. That's one thing they do. Romans 15, 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So the scriptures actually equip us to participate by showing a way of life centered on God that gives us encouragement and hope. When you read through the Bible, you see all these stories about people, nobodies, kings, all along the spectrum of life who centered their lives around God and through that had encouragement and hope. And that's meant to bring us in our own weekly journeys in our jobs in our home life that's meant to bring us encouragement and hope as we study those stories and learn about them and second timothy three sixteen says all scripture is god breathed anybody know what the breath of god is in in talked about in the in the old testament breath of god kind of 
Holy Spirit. There you go. All scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the scriptures actually equip us for everything we do in God's kingdom by giving us examples on how we live. They actually give us examples on how we, we engage and relate to people. They tell us what to do, not specifically, like if I go outside and I talk to a stranger, what am I supposed to do? They won't tell you that, but they'll tell you principles on what it, how it looks like to relate to people in God's kingdom. And so the second one on there was the body of Christ. And recently we've kind of been talking about this quite a bit. In 1 Corinthians 12, it kind of gives you the whole list of the characteristics of the body. It talks about how we're all unique members. We all have a place. We all have a role to play in God's family. And what's the chapter right after that? Does anyone know? The love chapter. Interesting, right? So we get the characteristics of what the body looks like. And right after, we get the love chapter, which describes how we're actually meant to relate to each other. And so, I mean, that's fascinating to me. But the body of Christ here is the environment where we actually get built up, where we encourage one another, and where we get corrected, actually. And so this actually helps us discover our unique gifts that we've all been given. And part of that process, here, here at Anchor Point, we actually believe that God's Spirit indwells His followers and that He uses people to help and equip us. And so I don't know about you, but I got, I don't know how many examples of people that God has used to teach me, to correct me, to equip me in his church. And so that's another way that the gospel equips us. And the last one there is personal conviction. And this one is a little bit of a doozy, but it'll be good. So as we engage the scriptures and one another, the Holy Spirit reveals to us places in our life that we are not submitting to Jesus. I'll read that again. As we engage the scriptures and one another, the Holy Spirit reveals to us places in our life that we are not submitting to Jesus. But there's a big danger in personal conviction. And the danger is that when they're isolated from the scriptures in the body of Christ, there's a big issue there. And I'm going to go there this morning, but I think this is something that needs to be talked about. And the big issue that we have right now that we're all dealing with is our personal convictions around COVID and vaccines. And what I want to share with you this morning and ask you is, have you thought about those convictions and how the gospel actually informs them? Have you pondered that in your own heart and in your own mind? Can you explain it to people in a way that glorifies Jesus? Can you explain your personal convictions in a way that actually glorifies Jesus? And how do we as a family have healthy, loving, God-honoring conversations around these personal convictions? How do we do that? Because if we can't do that with each other, how are we going to lovingly share with others that don't know Jesus? And how are we going to talk to them about their convictions? How are we going to do that if we can't lovingly do that together and so that's the danger in personal conviction when they're in no way informed by the good news of jesus and in no way shaped by us as a family there's a problem there and so personal conviction actually exists in a healthy and god-honoring way when it is tethered to both the scriptures and the body of christ and with that real conviction 
will actually never contradict the scriptures and should always be helped to be discerned by trustworthy, mature followers of Jesus. And Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And Proverbs 19, 20 to 21 says, Listen to advice and accept discipline. Listen to it. Does anyone here like discipline? Anyone like that? (laughs) We don't like discipline. Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So Isaiah, can you go to that next slide there? The gospel moves us from observation to participation as the Holy Spirit equips us for life in God's kingdom through our focused times in the scriptures by engaging the body of Christ, not the boy of Christ, and listening to the Spirit's gentle correction. And the third point there is the gospel propels. When we observe, we exist in a predictable and comfortable existence where the gospel no longer challenges our conscience or our flesh, and our kingdom existence is sedentary and fruitless. When we participate, we engage the good news of Jesus and allow it to challenge our flesh. Jesus' Jesus rule in our lives to the point where we are prepared to love and serve people in a dynamic and Christ-centered way. I was at uh, a friend's house for a, a barbecue, and uh, we were grilling some meatballs on the grill. Just delicious. Farm to table. They had this spread. It was all ve- like these veggies from their garden. And oh my goodness, if you ever get a chance to go there, go there sometime. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but it was really good. <laughs> and so we had a nice meal together. And we were out there barbecuing, me and, and my bro. And uh, he says to me, uh, so I was re-listening to some of those sermons, Josh, and I, and I heard one of your sermons. And it seems to be a bit of a theme, like this is, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, I was really challenged by what you said, and I just wanted to encourage you. Like, it, it's not always easy to be challenged, but I know that it's a good thing. And so I said, oh, thank you. That's so encouraging. And I almost said his name, but I'm not going to say it. And I said, but then I went home, and over the next couple of weeks, I was thinking about what he had said to me. And I thought, why is that? Like, why is, why is that challenge? Like, why is things that I say challenging? What is it challenging? Is it me? I don't think it's me. But what about it is challenging? And, the, and the, the place that I came to is that the gospel is actually inherently challenging. But why, you might ask? Because the gospel calls us to respond, to give up our kingdom, our control, ourselves. It asks us to move to go, to participate. It actually does not allow us to simply observe. And so Jesus finishes his earthly ministry and is about to go back to the father, father, father and leaves his followers with this command. Sit back, relax, let others do the work of the kingdom. Just listen to some sermons and pray to me before meals. You guys have already done lots. That, yeah, so I don't, I, yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, someone said something. I was like, if it was quiet after that, I was going to be like, okay. So this is what he actually says in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. 
but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, go and make. He said, baptize. He said, teach them to obey. The gospel is not a static thing. It is dynamic. It's moving into God's world and it's inviting you and me to join it. And so when we ponder and think about what Jesus has done, we're we're really left with two options. And the options are move towards him, participate in his kingdom, or move away from him and participate in our own kingdoms. Jesus plainly lays out the response he desires from people who have chosen to follow him. Go and make, baptize, and teach to obey. So Isaiah, you can throw that last slide up there. The gospel moves us from observation to participation by calling us to respond to what Jesus has done on the cross. His great love propels us into his world to make disciples to baptize them, and to teach them how to live life in God's kingdom. But still, we often catch ourselves observing, don't we? So why is that? I'm just going to close with two examples, um, and they're both of uh, the disciple or apostle Peter, that I think might help us understand better why we often find it easier to observe than to participate. And in Matthew, it's at the end of Matthew, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He sends them away in a boat across the Sea of Galilee. He goes off to pray, and it's in the middle of the night, and Peter's in the boat, and the disciples in the boat, and it's windy, and Jesus starts walking across the water. And so for Peter, here's a good question. What do you think a boat represents in Peter's life? What is a boat to Peter? What do you think? I know it might sound like a weird question, but for Peter... Stability, okay. Familiarity, comfort, great. Livelihood, love it. His kingdom. Ding, ding, ding. I mean, I would, all of them are right. No, it wasn't just Kevin. All of them are right. But it, that's what the, the boat was Peter's kingdom. Would you guys agree with that? He was a fisherman. He lived, he knew the seas. He knew every, the sails. I don't even know if he had them. Probably didn't have a motor, but he knew boats. But the truth is, Jesus walks across the water. Jesus is outside our kingdoms. And he's calling us to trust him in his kingdom. And so outside of the boat is no control, is unknowns, is waves and wind. Sinking. It, sinking? Thank you, Dad. <laughs> Do we trust that Jesus is who he says he is? The interesting thing as I was reading that story and kind of pondering is the storm was in both places. Do you guys realize that? The storm in the boat was a storm and outside of the boat was a storm too. And so we're wondering, well, why would I get out of the boat then? This is where my comfort lies. I don't want to get out of the boat. So what's the actual reward there? Outside of the boat is where Jesus is. He's not in the boat. And so often we settle for our own kingdoms and don't get out of the boat because we don't trust Jesus is who he says he is. That when we sink, when we inevitably start to sink, he will be there to help us. And so that's one reason. We don't necessarily trust Jesus and we prefer our kingdoms to his And at the end of John, the other example of Peter, the end of John, uh, Peter's 
disowned Jesus three times. Jesus is making some fish on the, on the beach there. It's probably a nice white sandy beach, making some fish. And Peter comes in and, and Jesus graciously and, and gently reaffirms Peter and tells him how much he loves him. And it's a beautiful story. And so they're walking along this beach, right? Having a nice little stroll. And the, the apostle that Jesus loved, who's speaking in the third person, his own thing, is just kind of lingering behind him there, right? So Peter's talking to him. And what does Peter say to him? Peter says to Jesus, what about him? What about him? What do we say? Why aren't those people helping? Why aren't those people doing anything? Or there's already enough helpers. Everything's good. There's enough people serving. I don't necessarily have the time or the energy, so that's okay. We're good. We'd much rather observe either what people are doing or what they aren't doing than listen to this line from Jesus and obey it. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And then the mic drop is, you must follow me. That's what Jesus says to Peter. And so just to kind of wrap this up, We often observe because we don't know what it means or how to trust Jesus, how to get out of our boats and enter in his kingdom where he's in control. We don't trust that he is good or we're too busy watching everyone else than listening to that call of Jesus that says, hey, you, and you, and you, and you, what is he to you? What is that person to you? You, you must follow me. So that's, that's it for this morning, guys. I'm going to pray. Tom's going to come up here and uh, commission us for this week. And, uh, yeah. Father, I think as a little child... And when I think about my own son and this idea of like, I love you, daddy. I love you, daddy. I love you, daddy. We have this desire to express our love to you, but our actions often might say something different. And so I just pray this morning for every person in this room that we would hear those words of Jesus. If If we want to say we want to follow you, Jesus, that we would hear, you must follow me. Father, let that be true in our hearts. Let us as a family encourage each other, walk that out in our daily lives, be examples of you, Jesus, to one another so that we can grow in in a healthy and mature way to be conformed into the image of you, Jesus, like you desire for us. We want to learn more about what it means to be participants in your kingdom and not just observers in the stands and so we we want to trust you today that you actually can make that happen that you use your word and your church and the holy spirit and all of that to move us into participation so we're thankful for that this morning and we do we we want to say that we want to follow you we want our actions to mirror that desire so we love you jesus 
meet each meet each person where they're at. I, I, I can sense and feel just like a, a bit of a tension, and I feel that tension in my own heart. But that you would gently, like you always do, meet us in that place that we're at this morning. Help us as brothers and sisters to support and encourage and be there for one another. Yeah. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. This is yours, bro. Who's this? Ridiculously high, bro.